Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at thetrumpet.com. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today. Lots of interesting stories to look at, including a feature piece we want to talk about at the end of the program from thetrumpet.com. China is steering the world toward war. They're doing a lot to expand their power into the neighboring seas, as well as, of course, even with the leadership at the top. So a lot happening in China, and we're going to take a look at some of that today. Grant, how you doing? You ready to go? Yes, I'm ready. I was just noticing your tie today. You have uh, trees and a moon, is that right? Yeah, I think it's the South Carolina state symbol. It was given to me as a gift many years ago by someone from that state. There you go. So other than this tie, I don't know anything about the state, but but there you go. I'm representing it today. You've never been there? Uh, for one for one vacation like 10 years ago yeah. but it was really short so yeah i've been there beautiful state yeah. nice area uh whoever got the tie they did a good job of picking out one that i think can stand the test of time because yeah. sometimes ties get really thin and then they get really wide depending on the decade they come from i guess <laughs> right. this was kind of in the middle yeah you, you can you it's can, not too extreme either way you can use this one for a while so uh yeah, you, you're always getting ties. I don't. My wife gives me ties. I think that's the only one that's ever given me a tie that I can recall. Yeah, I've gotten a, quite a few uh, from when I was in college as da- as gifts from different dates. Mm. So that's that's a great gift. That's I think I've said that before on here. That's the best gift ever because you have to wear. In some cases, a lot of men have to wear ties every single day. So every tie that you get has quite a lot of value, even if it's not hugely high quality just the fact that you have different outfit combinations is really nice yeah the uh stick around for a while it's something you can have in your wardrobe (laughs) uh there uh, is a lot of snow going on it's snow chaos in the uk and uh, i thought this is interesting because we're coming up uh on the uh annual camp out for the students of herbert w armstrong college they do a camp out here in oklahoma and then uh, the different uh, over in Edstone, the campus, they do a camp out too. So they're heading out to their camp out here in a few days. I guess actually even uh, today. And uh, on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, host Stephen Fleury was mentioning they're trying to get out before the weather gets too wild. But apparently they're having quite a bit of snow there in the UK. They call it the Beast from the East. It's left four dead so far while the, while Storm Emma threatens worse weather. So that's the name of it. Frozen Britain is braced for worse to come from Storm Emma, threatening widespread chaos. Swaths of the country were left under deep snow yesterday after heavy showers fell throughout the day and overnight. The brutal winter blast claimed its first victims when four people died in crashes during severe weather. All time, uh, I guess, when you have these, these types of storms, the road conditions get pretty bad, of course. They say fresh warnings were issued for drivers to take extra care on the treacherously icy roads uh, through the coming days and avoid non-essential journeys. Experts predict this winter-long big freeze could cause the highest death toll uh, for 20 years. So uh, this is a, quite a storm. A car crash in Lincolnshire yesterday caused the deaths of three people. They had 20 collisions within three hours on Lincolnshire's roads yesterday, including one involving a school bus with 45 pupils on board. So that's always a scary thing. Children were unharmed, thankfully. Heavy snow affected railway services, leading to delays and cancellations, while British Airways canceled dozens of flights. Uh, I have not driven in the UK. Have you ever you've had a chance to be on the roads over there? Last October, I drove 
for the first time, and it was a manual shift as well. So yeah. that was that was quite interesting. Uh, I can't recall ever hearing about Britain experiencing uh, icy roads like this. I'm sure it's happened before, but uh, last October when I was there, they were getting hit by a hurricane. So uh, oh. that's another, I guess, another weather disaster that they had to go through. That's right. I remember hearing about that on the news, and that's fairly unusual, too. They don't get a lot right. of that, so they've had some interesting weather. Uh, I, in some, some cases, I don't, I'm not sure about the UK. You would know better than me, but the roads can be a little narrow and a little... Oh tricky. yeah. Anyway, is that the way it is? In the yeah, UK? and especially out in the countryside, they wind back and forth constantly. Here, it's interesting because everything is in a grid. No matter where you're going, we have perfectly squared off sections of road where they're all just intersecting at a ninety degree angle. Out, out there, it was a lot of like hairpin turns, a yeah. lot of a lot of weaving back and forth. So, uh, it took a lot of getting used to. Yeah, you have to be careful driving in some of those areas. I I was in um, Ireland. I was smart enough to not try to drive, <laughs> uh, so I usually took public transportation. And uh, but I but I know what you're saying about the winding roads. Like we we even went on a tour bus somewhere, and the driver presumably knew where we were going. And after about twenty minutes, we realized we just passed the same place we had left from. <laughs> Nobody knew where we were going, and they were the they were the the paid employee to get us there. So, oh, no. uh, it's one of those things where I think you just have to know where you're going. So, once you pile snow and ice on top of some of these kind of tricky roads, anyway, oh, oh boy, I, I I agree with what they're saying. Stay home if you don't have to get out and get going. Well, that's a really good point. Uh, whenever it's icy like that, at least here, the only time you really have to worry is well, pretty much is whenever you're coming up to a stop sign. For the most part, there aren't too many hills and valleys where the road is, so you don't have to worry about going up and down hills usually. Uh, but at the stop sign, you just want to make sure you slow down in time. Over there, since you're weaving all the time, you have all these different opportunities to just slide right off the side of the road. Uh, so it, it can get pretty dangerous. And even even last year when I drove, I was kind of pressured into it. I'd been there for several days and hadn't driven at all. And then a few people there said I should should try it. So I took uh, Samuel Livingston with me to give me some tips. And he's he's the one who helps Mr. Stephen Flurry on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, always put always playing those clips and everything. Uh, but it was it was a, a harrowing experience. Thankfully, I didn't crash and uh, eventually came home safely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a neat experience, um, and it's interesting because I think the last time I looked into it, if, you, if you're traveling internationally and you're trying to get insurance on a rental vehicle, there's a few places that you can't get normal insurance, like, say, with your credit card, and, and Ireland is one of those places because of how tricky it is for foreigners to drive, I guess. And Anyway, so there's a few places like that. So lots of snow over there going on in the U.K. Hopefully everybody will be safe. We have a lot of listeners online over there, of course and uh, have a college campus over there, and they're going camping. So if they can get where they're going safely, which I assume they will, that's a lot of fun go camping in the snow. So that that's kind of fun to be out there. They have some interesting pictures on uh, different websites about the snow coming in, and there's one where, it's, whatever the city was, uh, massive bank of clouds oh. coming in. Like it looked like something out of a movie. Oh, no. <laughs> and so sometimes that happens where you can see the storm, like, whoop, there it is. And uh, so they had a pretty interesting picture there. Serious snow happening over there in the UK, so hopefully everybody's uh, safe. Where are they going for that camping trip? Is it Scotland again, or are they staying uh, in England? They, I thought they said something about the lakes 
district or something. Huh. I don't. I'm not really familiar with that area, but I think yeah. they go to a different little spot every year. Yeah, for some reason, just now that made me really curious. I wonder where they're actually going this time. Yeah, it's always a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Never know where they're going camping. Yeah, they they keep switching it up. We go to the same place every year the the college camp out in oklahoma is always at the same place so it's kind of interesting to figure out where the other campus is going yeah yep all kinds of interesting uh locations over there here's an interesting write-up this is also well we have a few that are coming out of the uk but this affects people all over uh we talk oftentimes about just the changing technology and how that's affecting people and uh people are getting actually addicted to taking pictures of themselves Selfie addict. That's what that's what they're called. I've I've seen this uh, many many places. People taking pictures of themselves. Sometimes it it makes sense. It, you know, you're at a um, a tourist attraction, and so you think, well, okay, you know, the family's there and they're taking a photo, and that makes sense. But then sometimes it's at odd places too. Um, I think I mentioned this. I may have mentioned this a while ago. I took my uh, son to get a haircut, and while he was getting a haircut, I walked down the street to a coffee shop with my daughter. And we were we were getting something to drink there, and uh, it was after school, so kids were out. And so this group of, I think, middle school kids came in to get their lattes. Times have changed. Middle school kids in my day, we didn't get lattes. We didn't know what they were. <laughs> but these kids get their lattes. So they get their drinks, and they set them down, and they arrange them all, and then they take pictures of it all. To, I'm assuming post to their their feeds and say, look what we're doing. And I just thought, wow, like that would never occur to me to... And I watched them for a while because I thought, what are they doing? Why don't they drink this? <laughs> they were arranging it all and setting things there and then took a picture and then they'd put their head in there and take a picture. And so that was their fun day. And they photographed the whole thing. So <laughs> whoever they are, if you want to find their, their coffee day, you can find it. And it has been proven that anytime you're taking a bunch of pictures of something that you're doing, you actually don't enjoy the moment as much because you're so preoccupied with putting out a perfect picture that you actually don't even understand what's going around on around you as much uh and it also seems like when they take pictures they're taking them of their drinks or their food or just pictures of themselves alone and i thought it was usually you'd want to take a picture if you were out with friends or something like that you take a picture of the whole group together ask someone else to take it uh, but now it's almost more popular just to take a picture of an inanimate object or just you by yourself, which is kind of strange. It is a little strange. I wonder, you know, people take pictures of themselves. They call it a selfie. <laughs> if you take a picture of a group, is it called a groupie? <laughs> they give an example in this write-up. The write-up is snap out of it. The selfie addict who's 22 admits he snaps 200 Instagram pics of himself a day. Hard to get a lot else done when you're taking pictures of yourself. Uh, they give the the fellow's name here, and he says that he deletes selfies if they get fewer than 600 likes on social media and says he spends three hours getting ready for a snap. So this is probably pretty extreme. But uh, he said he will spend three hours getting ready for a picture, and his obsession has led him to getting cosmetic surgery on his face. Well, not not good results there. Uh, he, ha- he has 50,000 Instagram followers. He says, when I post a picture in the first minute or two, I'll probably get 100 likes, and I love it. My phone goes crazy. It's just amazing. Researchers have identified a genuine addiction to selfies, which they have labeled selfitis. <laughs> it, sounds like you, it sounds like you have arthritis from holding the phone, taking <laughs> selfies, and be selfitis. But it's, it's an addiction to it. It's a mental sort of addiction. Uploading more than six pics of yourself to social media every day is deemed chronic 
sulfitis, according to Nottingham Trent University researchers. Uh, but he does it 200 times. Yeah. If I'm understanding it right, if he actually posts all 200 of those pictures, he's got it. He's got this this affliction like 40 times worse than the minimum. <laughs> yeah, he's the extreme. He's on the extreme side of it. But who knows? There's there's probably people that are more than that. Uh, this fella added that um, well, his buddies don't like it because he can't go out to a meal without taking a picture, and you know they go back and forth. So this is a thing that's actually happening now uh, to where. They're they're considering it, I guess, on some level, sort of a a mental illness or a, an addiction, selfitis, taking pictures of yourself and other things that are happening in your life. So they've done a fair bit of research into it, and they give uh, a number of questions. They say uh, they say ten questions, and then they give twenty. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what they maybe I misunderstood what they said there but anyway they give you a few things to think about uh, and if you you know answer on a positive side of these questions there's a good chance you might have this selfitis I don't really think the questions are totally necessary and you know if you take a lot of pictures of yourself but they have a few here well yeah one of the criteria here is sharing my selfies creates healthy competition with my friends and colleagues and I'm not an expert on this, but that does seem to be a big factor for a lot of social media postings where we want to portray our lives as amazing as po- as poss- as we possibly can. And then it, it, it kind of makes other people jealous so that they try to one up us and then you just go back and forth with other people. Um, and that's kind of a sad way to live life if we if we only gain validation from our lives by trying to project that we're better than others on social media. Right, and I think that's that's probably honestly a lot of the reason people do it. Um, I mean, there would be other instances, of course, but uh, another thing that people think when they get kind of addicted to this is that they gain more acceptance among their peer group when they take selfies and share them on social media. So it's, it's wanting to keep up with the Joneses, as they say. That's what they used to call it when you want to, you know, your neighbor does something, they get a new car. Well, you better get a new car, too, you know, to keep up appearances. And so now we see this happening on, on a day-to-day basis where, you know, you if you're looking at somebody else's picture, when they got 100 likes, I only got 40 likes. You know, oh, <laughs> this can't be. We must, <laughs> we must change what's happening here. And so people are getting really, really consumed with this. And, you know, I think from experience and certainly from what the Bible teaches, we should know that, that if we're very self-centered and everything we do is about ourselves, we're not very happy people. Uh, and this is an extreme form of being all about yourself and not thinking about others. And so it's very incoming and not outgoing. Yeah, and it would really get in the way of a lot of other responsibilities if we're so obsessed with posting on social media and by extension then monitoring other people's social media pages to make sure that we can post something that's better than theirs it would take a lot of time and th- and in this specific example he actually spends three hours getting ready for a picture which seems impossible i don't know how that's even uh something that you can do uh but he has fifty thousand followers at least he's probably making money off of it if you're if you're not even making any money off of it it's just pretty much taking over your whole life for no reason yeah i think um Thinking back to like my teen years, which is probably when this is a little more of a prevalent thing for people, although it, it does extend now into the 20s and beyond. But uh, 
moments where, say, you're involved with a group and you're doing something and you're not really spending a lot of time thinking about yourself, those are some of the best times you have because you're just having a good time or you're you're not sitting there constantly thinking about yourself and the way people are viewing you and that type of thing. Uh, so now with the social media and people carrying around phones, it's like they're carrying around a constant mirror with them and staring at the mirror. I mean, if you saw somebody doing that, you think, what's with that guy or that girl, right? <laughs> But this is that's kind of what it is. And yeah. it's not just staring at yourself. It's getting a picture of yourself and then showing it to everyone else and saying, hey, what do you think? Yay or nay? <laughs> and so, I mean, it's just it's just leading to a lot of bad things. So, anyway, something to just consider. Um, I have taken maybe 10 selfies in my life, I believe. Usually, like, with it's like if it's a picture of me and my kid doing something just for fun. Like, we don't put it anywhere. And I actually did. I actually did the thing where you take a picture of yourself, just try to, uh, like every week to see like your weight gain and oh, loss, yeah. that type of thing. It's actually been sort of helpful, really, <laughs> because I just I'm trying to you know get in better shape, and so I'm like, well, at least I'll have some something to go back and look at and see if I'm improving or not. Yeah, that's a really good uh, practical use for a selfie. It's hard to find too many others because uh, strictly a selfie would be with only ourselves and not even another person. Uh, there, it's not usually a whole lot of purpose for that if i don't have a mirror on me i might take a picture and see what i look like just to make sure i'm not disheveled or something but other than that i'm not going to go post that online uh to to see if other people will then approve (laughs) it's quite it's quite a thing so it's if nothing else it could be a time waster and it might be something to consider they have a list of, of a few more things you know where they'd say taking selfies instantly modifies my mood um Relieve stress. Relieve stress. Uh, you know, to enhance they using photo editing tools to enhance themselves to look better. You know, it, it's it's all very incoming, all very selfish, all very vain, and um, not a good not a, it's not a good trend. It's not heading in a good direction. Right, and the takeaway here is that it can actually become an addiction. Who who actually would have thought that something as simple as taking a picture of yourself could become uh, basically an essential part of someone's life, some, something where they feel like they're going to panic if they don't get the chance to do it. Uh, that that obviously is a pretty extreme habit, and it's r- really the, pretty much the worst thing almost that you could get addicted to. It's like extreme ultra-narcissism, like totally exalting yourself and being obsessed with your image at all times. Uh, what benefit do people like that serve to those around them if if they only care about themselves and it's that overt yeah it's really quite amazing because also it's a losing battle just because everybody gets older you know and if and if the obsession is constantly on appearance well everybody gets older <laughs> i mean it's just, it's a losing battle in that way well yeah so. if, a, if a 22 year old is already getting cosmetic surgery to make his pictures look nicer what's he going to be doing when he's 30 35 45, 50, obviously you would have to do a whole lot more to yourself the more you age if you're that obsessed with appearing young, appearing fit, appearing attractive. A lot of a lot more surgeries are on the horizon for someone like that. Yeah, and, and just also, you know, we only have so much capacity in our minds. We can only put so much in there and do so much, and if it's all filled up with ourselves, that's, you know, we're not developing uh, character, not good character. And we're not developing our minds. That should be obviously the bigger the bigger issue. That's what, I mean, everybody tells young people, right? At least they used to. 
it, you know, it's it, who you are as a person is more important than the way you look. And yet at the same time, the trends are all about how you look <laughs> because selfies have nothing to do with the content of your character right. or the development of your mind or the, your maturing process mentally. It all has to do with physical appearance, which is so shallow. So, um, yeah, really interesting. And it's funny too, how this, you, you look at like, say these me too movements and all this where people are, women are saying, we don't want to be objectified. And yet women, men, everybody, they're just objectifying themselves and putting it out there for the whole world to see. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard for people to ask others, not to objectify them if they're objectifying themselves in this way. You know, some of the women uh, who have been abused or have accused other people of abusing them have recently posed nude. I mean, is that really the way to combat something like that? Objectifying yourself so that somehow other people will not objectify you for themselves? I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense, uh, the line of reasoning there. And it's a really depressing way to live on top of that. Even if we're not going to the extreme of posting 200 selfies a day, anytime we only spend time thinking about ourselves or pleasing ourselves, if we, if we splurge on ourselves with our time or our money, it might be nice for a minute, but then we realize, wow, nothing was really accomplished here. And you feel empty from something like that because you're not benefiting anybody else and not even really yourself either. There's lots, there's just lots of new sort of addictions that are out there that can trip up, especially younger people before they know it. And you, you, again, it's something that seems harmless, but then all of a sudden you're kind of addicted to it. So anyway, so it's just a good warning for for parents and and young people alike. I don't think there's a lot of older people posting selfies, but (laughs) who knows? It could happen. This uh, next story ties into a couple of stories we've been looking at lately. Uh, there are two stories. One, one uh, we talked yesterday about just the rise, of course, in marijuana usage and how ultimately a lot of times it leads to much more severe addictions. <laughs> marijuana is bad enough, but it leads to other things. And then also there was a story, uh, I think last week, it was also from the UK where they said that there was a lot of lot of people in the UK that needed, that were on uh, antidepressant medication and they felt like they needed more more people to get on it because they needed it. Well, these two worlds collide, okay? This is from The Telegraph. Almost all cannabis on Britain's streets are super strength and could be driving mental health problems. So, yeah, people smoking marijuana or taking it in some form, they think it's driving mental health issues, and then they say you need some mental health medication. <laughs> so now you got a person, conceivably, that could be hooked on marijuana and antidepressants. Sounds like a cocktail, you know, for disaster. <laughs> that raises another possibility, too, that maybe that's why there is such a push to legalize something like marijuana. If a lot of companies stand to make a lot of money off of people who now have problems because of marijuana, why wouldn't they want marijuana to be legalized? And we know that a lot of policies, at least in the U.S. and probably probably in a lot of other nations, are enacted because of the money that goes into it behind the scenes, the lobbying that goes into it. Obviously, there are possible ways for drug companies to lobby for marijuana to be legalized even. Yeah, and and, and this just even brings up another difficulty with legalizing marijuana, say here in the States. Not only is it bad enough, but then also you're not exactly sure what it is. That's a whole other issue you have to think about. What's in it? They say researchers at King's College London tested almost a thousand police seizures from Kent, Derbyshire, 
uh, Maryside, Sussex, and the Capitol in 2016 and found 94% were of dangerously high potency. In 2005, just 51% of cannabis sold on the street was sin, uh, simila, also known as skunk. I'm not familiar <laughs> with all these terms, but uh, the, one of the doctors involved, their Dr. Forty from the Medical Research Council, uh, clinician scientist at King's College, warned that the powerful drug placed Britain's 2.1 million cannabis users at risk of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, psychosis, delusions, and hallucinations. The increase of high-potency cannabis on the streets poses a significant hazard to users' mental health and reduces their ability to choose more benign types. So it's funny. It's like speaking out of both sides of their mouth. Here in the U.S. and other places, people say, well, what's the big deal, marijuana? You're not going to get addicted to it. It's not that serious. Oh, unless it's a little more potent. And then in that case you're going to have the chance to have all of these uh, these hallucinations, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, mental health issues. So, I mean, are, how can people be comfortable with those potentials? It's really baffling. I mean, are, these, are any people like this who become schizophrenic, bipolar, depressed, delusional, are they, are they good workers or family members? Are they happy members of society? Are they even going to be voting sensibly if they're delusional? I mean, these, these are, there are a lot of issues where the whole direction of the country can actually shift and, and go in the completely wrong way because so many people are, are basically out of their minds, and they can change quite a lot. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So this is a real concern over there in the U.K. right now. Uh, researchers also found that in normal cannabis resin, the average concentration of THC, the main psychoactive component, had risen by 50% since 2005. So even, even I guess, in the normal stuff that people would be getting, this THC, which is the psychoactive component, I don't think you want to take anything that has a psychoactive component in it. And so they just show that it's getting to be a higher potency there over in the U.K. And and why would it be any different in the U.S. or anywhere else? Uh, Even in the the write-up we were talking about yesterday from Time Magazine about the opioid crisis, you know, they said they don't people put all kinds of stuff in there and they the they'll they'll make what they call testers. They'll mix up some new brew and kind of give it to people and see what happens. And so you, not only is it a problem just because it's <laughs> it has such bad fruits, but then there's also this this uh, enhanced uh, danger of maybe you getting something and you think it's at a certain level of potency, but it's a greater level of potency, mm. and now you're now you're you're gone mentally, and now you need antidepressants. So really, really, just uh, why do it? You know, you just look at all this stuff and you think, why do people even get involved with this other than just addiction and just just want to do what they want to do? Well, that's a big argument for marijuana is that it's not even really addictive. You can just casually engage in it. And yet it says here with high potency cannabis, it actually reduces people's ability to choose lower potency stuff. 
So why would they not have an ability to choose the lower stuff unless they were addicted to the higher high, unless they had to have something more extreme to feed and fuel their addiction? I mean, it says it right there. It, it obviously is an addiction that people can get into pretty easily. Uh, we can't just be so naive to think that, oh, well, I can dabble in this, as we said yesterday, just dabble in it and not end up 20 years later with addictions to like 20 other drugs. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. I think the story, I'm trying to think of the story last week that we did about how they did this report and they felt like a lot more people over in the UK needed to be on antidepressants. I can't remember if that was the Telegraph or if it was from some other uh, source. But, you know, you just put a couple of headlines together and stories that are not even a week apart. You can put together, I'm, I'm no detective, but you can put together a pretty good case as to the root cause of a lot of these problems. And is the solution another pill or to smoke something else? How about just stopping all of it? Yeah. How about just stopping all of it? Because they make it out like people that have, as they call them, mental disorders. Um, you know, hey, it's just the way it is. And you got to take this pill. Well, what are they doing in their lives to qualify them for this? Whether it be just, you know, it's broken law somewhere along the line, whether it's broken family, followed up by maybe drug abuse or something else. Yes, uh, addiction to selfies. I mean, there's so many just ridiculous things that are happening, and then people aren't happy because they're living a way that doesn't lead to happiness. So, what's the solution? We'll take an antidepressant. I mean, that that's the world we're living in right now. And at the same time, like I mentioned on the show recently, people who are professionals and would dare to say that exercise could help, or that right diet could help, or that positive building positive habits in your life could actually be a replacement for pills. They, those people get ridiculed for saying that for, for even having the temerity to propose a different solution other than more drugs, which is only common sense to turn away from the things that are causing all the problems. The drugs are the issue and yet we're acting like they're the solution too. There's not a lot of money in exercise no. or eating well That's right. for uh, drug companies. Here's an, uh, just a quick statistic for you. This is uh, from CNN uh, about U.S. prisons, and a lot of this has to do with drugs as well. Uh, with more than 2 million people behind bars, the U.S. has more prisoners than any other nation. Although 4.4% of the world's population lives in the U.S., nearly a quarter of the world's inmates are in its prisons. According to the World Prison Brief, the proportion of prisoners to the general population is the second highest in the world at 666 per 100,000 inhabitants, beaten only by the tiny island nation of Seychelles. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> uh, per a 2017 report from the U.S. Department of Justice, a further 3.8 million people were on probation, and 870,500 former prisoners were on parole. So, you know, I can, you can see when politicians come into office, they know it's a problem. I mean, there's too many people in prison. What's the answer? Open the doors? Let them out? I mean, it's, it's the fact that laws are being broken. And quite honestly, there probably should be more in than there are, but... Uh, you know, it's just such a bad cycle of just living disobediently to law, uh, getting involved in all kinds of addictions and problems to where people do things they wouldn't normally do, but they're they're not there mentally. And then this is constant cycle of going into prison, and very rarely does somebody come out of prison better off 
I mean, it could happen, but I think we all are fully aware that the prisons are not a nice place to be, which in some ways should be a deterrent. But when people get into that system, they, they kind of have to survive. And so they become pretty lawless, even yeah. more so than when they went in, I think. And so it's just this continual cycle. And obviously the Obama administration tried to get people out because they were looking at the racial numbers and they didn't like the disparity there. Uh, but is that the solution? Like there are so many things that you look at in this world and you just, everyone knows it's a problem, but they're just, they're just groping in the dark like the Bible says to try to figure out an answer and just completely ignoring what God says about issues like this. Right, and this write-up is, is from CNN, so what do you propose or what do you think a lot of these people uh, would propose as a solution? I mean, it, it says there that statistically we have five times more prisoners than we should based on our population. So does that mean that we're just too harsh? Are our laws just all too strict and we're discriminating against people too much? Or is it possibly because more people in this country break laws? Is that is that maybe a, uh, something that we could bring up instead of saying that, well, because the statistics don't align, population to prisoner ratios don't don't match up, that maybe the laws are too strict? Isn't isn't it possible that more people in this country break laws and that there's a deeper problem there that we should look at? Right, and that was brought up on the Trump Daily yesterday about what happened in Florida with the school shooter, which, by the way, the kids are going back to school today mm -hmm. uh, there. But uh, they they didn't like the fact that there were so many suspensions. So they said, well, let's just stop suspending kids. And then they were all excited to report that suspensions are down. Well, of course they are because you don't suspend people anymore. And then you, you have people that are just continuing to go through the system that shouldn't be there, and you have something happen like this. So... You know, they can kind of mess. It's 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 like being a uh, a very uh, unlawful accountant. I mean, you can kind of move the numbers around, but if you're not dealing with the main issues, you're not going to balance the books. And in this case, we're not we're not solving any of the problems just by not suspending somebody that should be. That doesn't make it better. It actually makes it worse. Well, right. If you continue with that accountant analogy, what if he? made the numbers so that the CEO and every rank and file employee got paid the exact same. So he was basically ensuring that the outcome for every individual or every group of people was the exact same. That's what they try to do in the school systems. They say, well, look, these races or these groups are getting suspended more, or in the case of prisons, they're getting arrested more. So we have to enforce the same outcomes for all these different groups of people. When you do that, you're ignoring well, in the case of a CEO, he does more. He's more important to the company, so he should get paid a lot more. Uh, whenever you're talking about school systems, certain groups of people might b disbehave a little bit more. It's not a racial thing, but if more, you know, say like 10 out of 20 uh, white students committed uh, a crime at a school, 10 out of 20 of them should get suspended. If 5 out of 20 Hispanics committed a crime at a school, 5 out of 20 should be suspended. You don't just say... 10 whites and 10 Hispanics get suspended and ignore the other 10 whites who did something or the other five whites who did something wrong. It actually doesn't even uh, make any sense when you when you look at all the numbers there. Uh, but that's basically like racism and bigotry in itself to, to try to excuse a whole huge group of criminals when all you have to do is look at who committed an infraction and punish them accordingly. You don't have to match it up based on any group divisions just just enforce the law and maybe we'll solve a lot of these problems 
Well, we hear a lot about leveling the playing field. Like that, that's talked about, especially from the the right in a lot, or sorry, the left in a lot of um, uh, the, their agendas, whatever it might be, whatever the topic is about leveling the pl- playing field, whether it's pay, whether it's crime, or who who's punished, how they're punished. Right. Well, we have to level the playing field. Well, how about you adhere to the law? Right. That that's what we should do. I mean, that's that's really what keeps a nation safe is when you know, like, no matter who you are, the law is the same for everybody. So, obey it or don't. But you know, if if you start to feel like you can slide by in a few things, well, what happens? People slide by in a few things, and and so you know, there's not going to be less people in jail. There's going to be more, even if they let some out, they're coming back probably, because if they feel, if you if you take a criminal and you let them know that, you know, you'll probably just kind of be in and out of the system, but you'll be out, you'll be in and out, a revolving door. Well, that's usually the first thing they do when they go out is they get back into some sort of crime and then they come back. And even there, if you look at it, it goes from maybe petty crime to serious crime pretty quick. And that's why I think Rudy Giuliani, the mayor, former mayor of New York, I think he did a pretty good job with the broken windows policy. Hey, if there's a small crime, take care of it when it's small. Can you take somebody that broke a window and rehab them? Probably. You can probably get them going the right way. It's harder to take somebody that's in for murder and get them going the right way, isn't it? You know, as a parent, you think about that with your kids. You can stop the small infraction a lot easier than you can stop the massive one that you let build. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, trying to address a problem early on. Whenever you see uh, red flags, like in the case of the Parkland school shooter, why not address it there instead of later on uh, talking about the guns? Or why, why not just suspend kids have the parents deal with those kids at home and hopefully send them back as better students who aren't disrupting the entire school environment uh, that this that would seem to make a lot of it a lot of sense and also it would make the students at, at every school a lot safer the, the ones who suffer when you try to make everything equal are the law-abiding students or the law-abiding citizens uh, when you overlook the fact that some people in a school are committing crimes because you can't have too many of a certain race get suspended. Well, those ones who should have been suspended because they're breaking laws are now still in the school and there's still a problem for all the other students who aren't doing anything wrong. That's not fair to the students who are there to actually try to learn and to do good things. And it's the same with the prison system. If you overlook thousands of people of a certain race or ethnic group or whatever it is, and you say, well, we have to loosen restrictions well then you have thousands of lawless people no longer in prisons out in the general public able to harass and be a problem for the stu- the people who are law-abiding it's it always hurts the people who are actually trying to do the right thing uh, and that's why policies like that are so unfair in america we already have equal opportunity no one is stopping anybody from becoming a ceo or the president of the united states but you just have to uh put in the right amount of work and sometimes you might have a harder situation to dig your way out of because of parents mistakes or whatever it might be but no one is actively every step of the way stopping you from being a success i think that's what the left tries to push like if you're a certain race people are holding you down and that's what we're trying to get rid of any any society where everyone is the same and it's enforced that way they're the most terrible places to live like you look at russia or cuba or any of these places where 
you know, the most successful lawyers and doctors in Russia couldn't buy a decent car uh, back back in the Soviet Union days. Uh, and they saw how prosperous the same people with the same jobs in America were. And they were like, well, why can't we do receive the fruits of our labors? Why can't we be rewarded according to our good works? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that's that's the biblical principle is that we are we do get the fruits of our doings whether it's good bad or otherwise and some people are doing bad things that's just a reality you can't ignore that and call it racist when certain people are doing bad things and it's every race is doing it but different percentages are doing different amounts of bad things that's just a reality of life there's been uh, some great commentators over the years that have come out and said look if we want to solve these crime problems solve them at home you know Get your families in order. Don't don't blame anything else other than what you are individually doing. And uh, those people have been usually shut down pretty quickly because right. it's not not the popular thing to say, but there is truth in it. Well, that then you can't blame politicians for all your problems because uh, you would have to focus on your families and get those right. That's not that's not so easy anymore when you have to actually take personal responsibility for your issues instead of blaming marco rubio or, or someone else well that's a great point i mean for all these topics whether it's say, say the the drug issues or the crime issues uh people know it's an issue but nobody wants to take personal responsibility it's easier to say well i just need a different pill or or let's just make this drug legal or let's just let people out of jail because there's too many in there well um that never leads to good things well i think it was uh some some famous actress recently said that President Trump is to blame for uh, violence in schools. Like somehow, I don't even know how she made that connection. But isn't it easy to just blame the president of the United States than to say that well, every violent student comes from some kind of home environment that's probably not right, and maybe we should look at that instead. Right. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard. I mean, for anybody. You know, like we mentioned a couple of days ago, Mr. Armstrong always said that. Um, it's one of the hardest things for humans to do to admit personal responsibility and mistake and, and that they're wrong. And nobody loves that, no. but, but we're all humans and there's not a one of us that's perfect. <laughs> so yeah. we're all going to have to take some correction from time to time. Yeah, correction can definitely hurt. But the positive is that you can fix a problem and become happier. And, right. you know, if if correction in the home of Nicholas Cruz would have stopped him from being a shooter, we would have 17 more people who are still alive right now. So correction might not be pleasant. It might not make uh, parents their kids' best friends anymore, but at least at least things would be getting dealt with and we wouldn't have much bigger problems popping up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, wanted to mention the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. Make sure you stop and check that out. Uh, a couple of interviews today, including an interview with Brad McDonald about what he's been doing over in Jerusalem for the last uh, few days, and then also an interview with uh, Music for Life host Ryan Malone about his uh, musical, The Isaiah Musical, which was from a few years ago uh, in relation to the discovery of the Isaiah Bulla. So some really uh, good interviews there. It's on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. You can check that out. Uh, here at KPCG, or the archives are posted at kpcg.fm and at thetrumpet.com. Listening to Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG, Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today. We wanted to spend the rest of today's show looking at this uh, feature story at thetrumpet.com. It's from Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Fleury. China is steering the world toward war, 
And this is a uh, this was re- uh, originally in the July 2016 Trumpet Print Edition, but in light of recent news from China, including President Xi Jinping's abolition of term limits, new photographic evidence of China's militarization of South China Sea, and the great leaps forward made by its military, the analysis is more relevant than ever. So that's why it's featured, and we want to talk about it a little bit. It's one of the great things about some of these past write-ups from the trumpet, whether it be uh, uh, an article or a booklet, is that even though, say, the specifics of the news change, you can go back and look at the principles of the direction and and where things uh, are going from years ago that were written about, and it's the same trajectory because it's based on Bible prophecy. So it's really great to go back and look. It, it It never goes out of date, so to speak. The names might change a little bit with the leadership and that type of thing. Or in case in the case of China, it doesn't change. <laughs> but uh, but they're still going that same direction, and the Bible prophecy forecasted. Right. These articles are timeless, uh, and it's because the Trumpet.com is focusing on certain regions of the world that line up with Bible prophecy the most. And because of that, and because the Bible shows the ultimate outcome of these nations— you can then cover the news as it points to those outcomes, and you can you can show every step of the way that what the Bible says is actually coming to pass right before our eyes. Yeah. This write-up says the tensions are rising between China and America, and we've seen that even continue, I think, with President Trump's administration. Ever since Xi Jinping took over as General Secretary of the Communist Party of China, his administration has been militarizing the South China Sea and working to push the United States out of East Asia. And, of course, as they mentioned, uh, Xi Jinping has now uh, made some moves to uh, uh, amend the Constitution so we can have a third term and uh, (laughs) just rule forever, I guess. (laughs) So whenever that happens, that's that's typically uh, a danger sign there. Uh, and, and it continues to say that in two island chains, uh, the Paracels and the Spratleys, China is building a series of man-made islands 800 miles from China's shore. And so there's some really good maps here at thetrumpet.com that kind of give you the geography of everything. These islands are being installed with anti-aircraft batteries and fighter jets are stationed on them. The Spratly Islands are claimed by the Philippines, Malaysia, Taiwan, and Vietnam, but China... Not interested in that. They're ignoring these nations' territorial claims. <laughs> China is being aggressive and provocative. So they're building up these these islands there, making their, their islands and taking over this, this South China Sea area, which they don't own. Uh, and uh, what are they doing? They're not putting picnic benches on there. <laughs> I mean, they're militarizing it. And this this is alarming to some people, and it has been, but yet it, we don't see the, the coverage in the media about it. Uh, we're too concerned with, you know, chasing around President Trump and that type of thing. But how about what South China, or what China is doing there in the South China Sea? Exactly. And China has guessed right that the Philippines, Malaysia, Taiwan, and Vietnam are not going to do much about it. Uh, what? How can they match up to China in any area? Uh, militarily, they just would, would not even stand a chance. And so if the U.S. is not aggressive in the region and they're not projecting their power over there, well, China can easily just step in here. And even if the U.S. is there and not determined to do something about it, which China has also correctly guessed, uh, then then China can just basically expand as much as, as it wants to. Yeah, and these nations like China and other nations they they're not they're not foolish. 
they're not going to come out and say, hey, by the way, we want to dominate this whole region and we want to take over the world, just so everybody knows. They just make an island here, make an island there, and it's little sort of pushes. And then if if America doesn't come in or some superior power and say, no way, we're going to stop that, then they just keep doing it. It's no different than what we were talking about in the earlier story about, say, crime or any of these other things where if you stop the problem when it's early on, then it's easier to stop. But if you let China just just militarize the South China Sea and take over this region, and then you want to confront it, well, now you've got a serious issue to deal with. When it was one island, you could probably deal with that. But that's the deception in it because, you know, you can see the media saying, oh, it's one island. What's what's the beat? We're going to get into a war over one island? Well, one island turns into a lot of islands, turns into control of the entire Seagate, turns into a problem now that we can't deal with. Right. I mean, it, we could we could think of our history with Cuba right off the coast of Florida where Russia took over that island or at least they worked very closely with Cuba uh, to try to launch missiles into America from that island. And you could easily say, well, it's just one tiny island nation, uh, but it definitely almost played a role in wiping the U.S. out of existence. Taking over islands, establishing dominance at sea gates is always really strategically important, and we can't just ignore it just because we don't feel like confronting China right now. I mean, all the stories we've covered today just show a tragic lack of leadership and law enforcement, uh, not being willing to use the power that this nation has always had and been blessed with, and it's just a really... A shame because America could do something about this uh, if we were uh, proud of our power and willing to actually use it in a good way. Yeah. Why are these waterways so important? You know, why is the South China Sea and these other areas, why are they so important? Well, here's why. Each year, $5.3 trillion of trade passes through the South China Sea. $5.3 trillion. You ever driven down the highway and there's a toll booth and you think to yourself, well, whoever owns that toll booth, they make a lot of money. (laughs) It's no different. If you own the waterway, you control what comes in, what doesn't come in. You can tax it. You can, you have a stranglehold on other nations. $5.3 trillion of trade passes through the South China Sea every year. That is roughly one third of the world's maritime commerce. Is that a big deal? Would that give China some power? Of course it would. Since Japan's defeat in World War II, America has protected this vital trade route and brought peace to this part of the world. Don't believe the the revisionists that say America's been a warmonger. They have uh, brought a lot of peace, as well as the British Empire. Now the American military is retreating and other great powers are coming to fill the vacuum. This is going to dramatically affect trade around the world and U.S. trade especially. And then, as Mr. Flurry points out, a trade war often precedes a shooting war. That is what happened just before World War II, especially so in Asia. And so it goes into some of that history there as well. But, again, th- these these gates are so vital. And as he points out, well, America can retreat and say, well, we're not interested. But it's not just going to sit there for the ducks and the dolphins. <laughs> Other <laughs> nations are going to come in and say we're going to take hold of that because they recognize the power in controlling those sea gates. Uh, yeah, and this area has been a clear flaw in President Trump's uh, just different array of policies. His idea that we can 
retreat and not be so dependent on China and other nations. It sounds nice, and it would be definitely amazing if that could be reality. But what about all the debt that we owe to China? And what about the fact that this entire world is filled with enemies of America that would be glad to see America fall? So if we're not protecting American interests around the world, a lot of people will take over those interests and will soon be surrounded and isolated. Uh, And when it comes to trade, you don't want to be isolated in trade because America is not fully self-sufficient it's really no different than a game of monopoly right where it's like you want the best pieces on you want the best places on the board because you know the traffic's coming Mm -hmm. and you know eventually they're going to land on boardwalk (laughs) (laughs) and if you've got a hotel you're going to win right so you you want to you want to get the strategic pieces uh and it is sort of a game in that sense but with very very important uh outcomes or uh uh you know, it's very realistic. Uh, China wants a bathtub, said Mark uh, Lantine, a senior research fellow at the Norwegian Institute. That's a great, great uh, line. They want a bathtub. China wants waters that are theirs, that they can operate militarily, uh, military and police vessels in without having to worry about the presence of the U.S. or the Philippines or uh, the Vietnamese or Indian naval forces. They just want control of it so they can do what they want. Well, when you want to send some of your trade through there or you want to get some trade from there, now you've got to ask China, is that okay? Can we do this? Because they could say, you know what? We're not going to let you have your trade come through there. China is intimidating the nations of Southeast Asia into submission to its will, this write-up says. And like you said, who's going to stand up to China if not the U.S.? The Philippines aren't going to do it, right? right? I mean, they're even even uh, Duterte. He, he I think recently said like, "Oh, we they wanted to be run by China or something." It was kind of a joke, sort of. But he know he knows where the power in the region is. And there's no one that's going to stand up to China if the U.S. doesn't do it. That's right, and that's that's a good point about the Philippines. And a lot of those nations over there have fallen in line. They see that America's not going to really go out of its way to protect them. So. The only other option is to align with China and Russia and and Japan, and that's what that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, more and more nations are building up stronger and stronger alliances, and so many nations joining these alliances used to be U.S. allies. But when we retreat, as much as other nations sometimes might like us. Well, we're not there for them. We're not providing anything for them. So it's not even a fruitful alliance in any way. They're just going to basically turn to our enemies and at least make sure that they don't get overrun by them. Right. And there's so much covered in this article as far as uh, history of these different sea gates and then a lot of where the prophecies are leading to. And we don't have time to get into all that today. But just one other point real quick, and this is something to really think about, too. Uh, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill called Singapore the Gibraltar of the East. It was supposed to be an impregnable fortress used to keep the peace in East Asia. Two months after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the Japanese were able to conquer Singapore. This marked the start of a period of near-apocalyptic violence in Southeast Asia. Many historians, listen to this, many historians consider the fall of Singapore as the beginning of the end of the British Empire. But they lost their sea gates, and so they didn't have the influence that they once had. So... History always repeats itself. So if they lost a Seagate uh, and they began, as many historians think, the, be- the end of their empire, well, thankfully for them, here comes the U.S., a brother and an ally that then became the power in the world. But we don't. there's no one else in line now. Now it's Russia, now it's China, now it's Europe. And if, if they lost their, their p- 
power because they lost the Seagates. Well, aren't we going to go in the same direction? We should be able to see that history and realize that the same thing is going to happen in the United States. Well, we have willingly given away Seagates and vital canals, and we've allowed uh, nations like Iran and China to take over areas that uh, we once controlled. And that's exactly right. There's no Britain waiting to take over when we back out on the world scene. Uh, look at what happened when Singapore collapsed. It was called, in this article, near-apocalyptic violence. That's not what the historians would tell you in a lot of cases. Uh, when Britain and America aren't in charge and a Gentile power takes over, it just leads to savage bloodshed and warfare. America and Britain have been a force of good in the world, and they have actually stabilized the world for the entire time that they've dominated. Yes, and, and it's changing now very dramatically. It is entering those times of the Gentiles the Bible talks about. There's a lot more in this article, lots of great maps. talks about a mart of nations uh, that's going to form. Lots that you need to see. So this is just a highlight we looked at today. Make sure you check out this uh, write-up. It's a top story at thetrumpet.com. More relevant than ever, China is steering the world toward war. That's at thetrumpet.com. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. We will talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.